This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. Well, good morning. Good to see everybody out today. Great blessings over all of you. We'll start our service a little different here today. We just want to honor all our veterans. Let me just say this before we do that. The people that are the heroes of my life aren't the entertainers. They're not the athletes of our world. They're our veterans. And we thank you that because of your sacrifices, we get to live with freedoms. And just this past week, we were in New York City. I got to go by the Statue of Liberty. I went to Ground Zero, which was very, very moving. But I begin to see the freedoms of our land, and you've probably heard this, that freedom isn't free, and it's not. There was a huge price that was paid, and so I, I say thank you to all you men and women who served. So if you were a part of the, the United States Army, you served in the Army, I want you to stand up and stay standing. Stay standing, guys. Thank you. Bless you, guys. If you were part of the United States Navy, would you stand up? Anybody here at the Naval Academy? Bless you. How about our Marines? Are you a Marine here today? Do we have any Marines? Yeah, bless you. Bless you. Wow. What about our Air Force? Were you part of the Air Force? Anybody? Or the Coast Guard? We just want to honor you. We had a bunch in the first service too, so... All of you, I, I say thank you. Let me pray a blessing over these guys. Why don't you stretch your hands out to them. Father God, we thank you for the gift of freedom. We thank you for all these men and women that sacrificed here today. And Lord, not only we pray blessings upon them, we pray you heal their hearts. You heal their emotions, Father God. That you wash their minds of things they had to do and the things they had to see. But Lord, we pray your blessings on them and all of our men in uniform and women that are around the globe tonight fighting for freedom in America. And we say, God bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask everybody to stand here. I want to stand and um, just the, the time that we're in in America and doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out there's some things going on and we got a big election this week. Let me read this. This is in Second Chronicles 7 verse 14. It said, if my people who are called by my name, that's us, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I'll heal their land. And so I just want to pray over our nation right now. I want you to pray with me. And part of praying for our nation, he said, If we would humble ourselves and repent of our sins and the sins of our nation. I believe it's very uh, even prophetic today that we speak and we pray for our nation and we repent of the sins. Why don't you pray with me? Father God, we stand before you today. And we are your children. And we come humbly today, Lord. That we ask you to forgive our land of all the sin that we've committed as a nation, as a people. And today we ask you to forgive our nation. And Lord, we speak not only repentance over America, we speak the blood of Jesus over our land. And we ask you to move and we ask you to heal and we ask you to restore our land. And we thank you today, Father God, that no matter who's in the White House, you're God. 
And we look to you and we call out to you. And we thank you right now for moving among us. And we pray your blessings in Jesus' name. And everybody agreed, said, amen. Amen. Well, you can be seated. You know, I said we had been in New York City. I have a son that lives there. If you're here for partnership, I need to dismiss you. If you're here for the partnership class, you may quietly get up and run. No, I'm just kidding. Just go on back there to the back and they'll get you out of there. But my son lives there and, uh, you know, I begin to see just all the different nationalities, the different languages were there. And you know what? I, I realize there's a lot of people that are coming to America, but they're not coming to America just for a better life. They're coming to America because America's been blessed because of God. And so we can never forget those things. And again, I say thank you to all your veterans, all you veterans. Bless you. If you need a Bible, why don't you raise your hand, get your hand up real high, and we're going to hit the scriptures running today. Get it up real high. Then once you've got a Bible, go with me. We're going to go to Hebrews 4. Then we'll jump to Colossians 2. And then we'll go to Matthew 16. And that'll lay a little foundation where we're going. Now, we've been talking about how God's given us privileges to ask Him to do things in our life. When we pray, we're, we're really granting God the legal right or authority to move in our life and to cause His purposes and His passions to be feel, fulfilled in each one of our lives. Now, I've quoted this several several weeks, but let's read it starting in Hebrews 4, verse 14. Seeing then we have a great high priest. Now, the great high priest that he's talking about was the highest position of religious authority. And he says, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Who is that great high priest? It's Jesus, the Son of God. And he said, let us hold fast the profession or the confession of faith. So you know what he's telling me and you today? Hold fast to what you believe. Hold fast that if you've confessed Jesus as Lord of your life, you keep hanging on to him. You keep living by Jesus, okay? Verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. You know, Jesus has sympathy for us as humans. Why does he have sympathy? Because he says... That he sympathizes in our weaknesses, but when all points was tempted as we are, yet without sin. So Jesus was tempted just like we are. He understands the temptations we go through. Verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. That's a great statement right there. What an invitation. Let us. The ones that acknowledge Jesus are Lord of our life. Let us come boldly or without reservation to the throne room of grace. Now the invitation was that we may obtain mercy and find grace in a time of help or a time of need. So every one of us in this room, he's welcomest because of Jesus Christ that on a daily basis... You can cry out for mercy. You can cry out for grace. And I encourage you to begin to do that, not only for your individual life, but Lord, we ask you to mercy and grace our nation right now. What an invitation. How did all this take place? How did Jesus become the great high priest? Colossians chapter 2 is our next stop. And then I said after Colossians 2, we'll go to Matthew 16. Colossians 2, and we begin in verse number 11. In him, in Jesus, 
You are also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. Now, what he's talking about here is this wasn't to have to do with the physical procedure. This had to do with the spiritual procedure. And Jesus wants to do something in every one of our hearts. The last part of verse 11. By putting off the old body of the sins of the flesh by circumcision of Christ. We were buried with him in baptism. In which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Now he's talking about here about baptism. And baptism for me and you it parallels Jesus' death, his burial and his resurrection. Something begins to happen when I allow Jesus to come in and change my heart, and then I just go through the procedure saying, you know what, I'm going to get water baptized. And when he talked about water baptism there in verse 12, he said, in the working of God. When I begin to surrender to God in any of these areas, God begins to work on the inside of us. Verse 13. And you being dead in your trespasses and sin, and the uncircumcision of your flesh. So what he's talking about, every one of us, we were dead spiritually because of our sins and our sinful nature. And he goes on to say, He has made us alive together with him, having forgiven you of all your trespasses. So when I receive Jesus, I become alive again in my heart. And God declares us not guilty of our sins. Oh, you should have shouted on that. I thank God I'm not guilty. Because I am guilty. Except because what Jesus did. Verse 14. Having wiped out the handwritten requirements. Now, when you see the word wiped out, it has some very strong significance for me and you. The New Living says, He canceled the record of all the charges against us. So when it talks about having wiped out the handwritten requirements, it's talking about he wiped out signed confessions, the indebtedness we have, the self-confessed indictments against ourselves, And he said he wiped them out. He removed them. And he goes on to say, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Now, we can live by the cross. We can live under the authority of the cross, that the cross represents death, but it also represents life. And we can live by that. Now, how all this takes place with Jesus being the high priest, verse 15. Having disarmed principalities and powers. What were the principalities and powers? Well, the principalities and powers were the fallen angels that became demons. Better referenced in uh, Ephesians 6.12. But he said he disarmed them. It didn't say he annihilated them. It said he disarmed them. So he curbed their authority. And he disarmed them. And he made a public spectacle of them. Triumphing over them. And so what literally happened with the Lord Jesus. That he, he publicly shamed them. And in heaven, I mean in hell, he made it very clear that every demon, these principalities and powers, they were under his feet. 
So looking through scripture in Philippians 2 verse 9 through 11, it says God gave him a name that's above every name. So our job is we begin to speak the name of Jesus. I go into the throne room of grace by the name of Jesus. That everything I begin to do, Colossians 3, 17, it says everything you do in word and deed, you do in the name of Jesus. So as a believer, that's my authority. Now, to really, really get in depth here a little more to show you where this is going, go to Matthew 16. Matthew 16. Say, Pastor, where are you going? Just hang in here with me. Because these things are going to begin to teach you some stuff today. Ooh, that as a Christian, you are armed and dangerous in a good way. That Jesus didn't just set us up to spend eternity in heaven, which he did, and I'm not downplaying that. But he said, I'm going to do something for you while you're right here on earth. Matthew 16, we begin in verse number 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Now, this verse right here is loaded with a couple nuggets. Number one, he said, Who does men say? And number two, this is big, Jesus himself identifies who he is. He said, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Now, remember, when Jesus came to the earth, he didn't come as the Son of God. He came as the Son of Man. And so he says to the, who do men say that I am? Verse 14. So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. So uh, in reviewing, basically, they're saying, they believe you're a prophet that's risen from the dead. Verse 15. So he said to them, but who do you say I am? What a question for me and you. Now let me ask you that question right now. Who do you say who Jesus is? In other words, who's Jesus to you today? He didn't say, who does your mother say Jesus is? Who's your daddy? Who's your pastor say Jesus? No. See, he gets very personal right here. Because when we go to heaven, there won't be grandchildren in heaven. They'll just be children. And this is very important that we understand this and we say. So I would say this if he said, who do you say that I am? I would say. You're my Lord. You're my Savior. You're the Messiah. You're the Christ. You're the Son of the living God. So then he goes on to say, after he said that, verse 16, And Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. Now, when Peter said that, biblically right here, guess what happens? He gets born again. That's how I get born again. I confess with my mouth. And so Peter gets born again here. Verse 17 and Jesus then answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So we walk you through this. Jesus said, Who do men say that I am? Peter said, You're the Son of the living God. And when Jesus, or when Peter confessed that, look what Jesus spoke over him. Jesus said, Blessed. Blessed. So when we receive Jesus as Lord of our life, we come underneath the blessing. Part of that is learning just to receive the blessing, but also understanding what the blessing is. Verse 18. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Now, there's some great things in here. Jesus is the foundation. Jesus is the rock. 
that he is the starting point and the finishing point for every one of us. If Jesus is not the foundation, then I have no foundation. So Jesus right here, he says, I'm the foundation of the church, but I'm going to build my church through the Peters of the world who get born again, just like me and you. And remember, my salvation is not based on how good or bad. My salvation is based on Jesus. And so when we look at this, Peter identifies who Jesus is, and Jesus turns around and identifies to Peter who he is and what his role would be. So Jesus is speaking to me and you, and he said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against this church. Now, when we look at that expression there, he's talking about the power of death. It cannot prevent the advancement of the kingdom of God. And number two, it cannot claim victory over those who've confessed Jesus as Lord. Gates of hell can't prevail. Now, in that passage there is the word church. In the Greek, the word church there means ecclesia, okay? Listen to what the word ecclesia means in the Greek. A judicial, legislative, the governmental people of God. So when we come under the authority of the church, he's saying to me and you, I want you to legislate everything that I started here. And the way we do that is in the name of Jesus. He's granted me and you legal authority. Watch verse 19. And I will give you, you may highlight that in your Bible. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Now, how did Jesus get the keys of the kingdom of heaven? He disarmed principalities and powers. He did all that. And so right here, Jesus gives us the keys. Now, what do keys symbolize? Keys symbolize authority. Just a real thought, real quick. What do keys do? They unlock and they lock. They open and they close. And so right here, as born-again Christians... He said, I've given you the keys. Keep reading. And whatever you, and you may want to highlight that, it didn't say whatever Jesus binds and looses. He said, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. That word bound there is a legal term. It also means to declare lawful or to declare unlawful. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So right there, Jesus has given us the ability to legislate right here on earth. So whatever we begin to bind and to loose on this earth, we are granting God legal permission to bring heaven right here to earth. Wow. And I, I really thought somebody may stand up and scream, but it's okay. You missed a good part. Listen to the definitions of binding and loosing here. The word bind means a binding contract with heaven that allows God to move. The word loose here has one meaning of dissolving an existing contract. And God has placed that authority on me and you. Now, I said a minute ago that when he disarmed principalities and powers, he didn't annihilate them. But understand this, that the devil has a legal right to be here. John 12, 31 says that he's the God of this world. 
2 Corinthians 4, 4 says he's the God of this age. But I believe too many times as Christians, we put up with a lot more than we should be. We've been given authority here in the name of Jesus. Now, in saying that, go way back into the Old Testament to the book of Job, chapter number 1. Job 1, if you've gone to Psalms, you've gone just a little too far. Now, as you're turning to Job 1, I know some of you weren't here last week. Remember, we have podcasts to keep you up to date on this. I want to review just a little bit because where we're at in Job 1, we were in Zechariah 3 last week. Zechariah 3 cross-references right here to Job 1. So if you remember in Zechariah 3, starting in verse 1 through 6, the prophet Zechariah, it showed that the devil was opposing Joshua. And the reason he was opposing him, remember his garments were filthy. The filthy garments signified sin in his life. So one of the ways the devil tries to stop the things of God in every one of our lives, if we have sin, and then we don't repent of our sin. Then when we read on in Zechariah 3, about verse number 6, 5, 6, he said, If you'll walk in my ways and obey my commandments, then I'll give you places to walk. Now, I want to highlight that right there, that he'll give us places to walk. But that symbolizes authority. We begin in Job chapter 1, verse 1. There was a man in the land of Uz, not Oz, not the wizard of Uz, Uz, whose name was Job. And that man was blameless, and he was upright, and one who feared God, and he shunned or hated evil. Now, when you read the words blameless and upright, he was a man of complete integrity. But get this, that doesn't mean that he never sinned. But he had a heart to live for God. He had a desire to be righteous. He lived or leaned toward righteousness. Same chapter, verse 6. Now, there was a day when the sons of man came to present themselves before the Lord. Now, what I want you to see right here, this shows that there was the members of the heavenly court that came to present themselves. I believe it was the angels. And what they did was they had a powwow in heaven with Father God, and they would discuss what they needed to do here on earth. So get this, God and the angels are showing up. Keep reading in verse 6. And Satan also came among them. Satan also showed up. The New Living says, the accuser, the opponent in the court of law, he showed up. Keep reading. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. Now, what you begin to see that he's patrolling the earth. And I believe when you begin to see scripturally, he's looking for evidence to present against us. How can we tie that together? Remember in Revelations 12.10, it says, The accuser of the brethren goes before God day and night and accuses us. 
So the Lord says right here, what you been doing? And he said, I've been going to and fro and note right here, walking back and forth on the earth. He's checking things out here on the earth. Now, hold your place right there if you desire, because I'm going to come right back to that. But I got two passages that I want you to see some things with the devil. The first one is in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 28. Um, if you've gone to Daniel, you've gone just a little bit too far. After the major books, Isaiah, Jeremiah, there's a couple little ones, and then you'll jump into Ezekiel 28. I encourage you to read this chapter, but specifically verse 14, Ezekiel 28, 14. You were the anointed cherub who covers. Now, this is talking about Satan. Now, remember when he was in heaven, his name was Lucifer. And the Lord is describing him as this anointed cherub. And he said, you were the one who covers. You were the one who protects. You were the one who defends. And God reminds him, I established you. You didn't establish you. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. And you walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. So when Lucifer was in heaven, he patrolled heaven. He walked back and forth on heaven. Now, remember I said in Zechariah 3, the Lord said to Joshua, he said, you honor me and you live for me. He said, I'll give you room to walk. Again, it signifies authority even for believers here on the earth. The next passage, 1 Peter chapter 5, way back there after James. 1 Peter 5, verse 8. Be sober, be self-controlled, be vigilant or watchful. Because your adversary, your opponent, the devil. Let me tell you this about the devil. The devil's not your friend, okay? And the devil is not what you see in Hollywood running around poking people in the rump with a pitchfork. Okay? That's not who he is. Can I tell you a little bit about the devil real briefly? He hates your guts. And the Bible's very clear that he came to kill, steal, and destroy. That's John 10.10. So he says, your adversary, your opponent, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So go back to Job 1 and just think about what he just said. So he's walking the earth and he's trying to gain evidence so he can devour people. But in 1 Peter 5.8, it says, seeking whom he may devour. It did not say seeking whom he will devour. So you know what that tells me? The only way he may devour us if we give him cause or reason. Now remember last week with Joshua because of sin in his life and he hadn't repented of it, he gave the devil legal entry. That's the same for everyone. That's why it's so important. That we begin to hate sin, but if we do sin, we repent from it. So we go back. Job chapter 1, verse 8 now. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered or noticed my servant Job that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? 
Now, Job right here is declared by God himself as blameless and upright. And when you begin to look at this verse right here, many times we have the things or the thought, why is God selling Job out? He wasn't, okay? What's going on right here is he's literally asking the devil, do you have any evidence against him? Do you have anything, any cause against his life? Now, let me tell you this about trials. God doesn't bring trials into our life to see or want us to fail. Trials come into our life to strengthen our faith, to strengthen my trust in a living God. So he begins to say this, and then in verse 10, he said, Have you not, or verse 9, so Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Now listen to what the word nothing means. Does Job fear God without reason? Keep reading. I'm going to show you something here. Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the works of his hands, and his possessions have increased to the land. But now you stretch out your hand, and you touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. So when you look at this, the devil is accusing Job of having impure motives. You know what he's saying to God? He only serves you because you've blessed him. He only serves you because you put a hedge around him in his household. And he's saying, you remove all the stuff in his life and you watch what he'll do. So when I read this, I begin to look. Here's another way he accuses us if my motives aren't pure before God. Listen to this proverb right here. This is Proverbs 16, 12. It says, All the ways of a man are pure and innocent in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the motives and the heart. So here's a question for you. Do you serve God just for what he can do for you? Do you serve God just for the blessings? See, these are questions I have to ask myself. Do I... I serve God just when things are going good. So he makes these accusations. Verse 12. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on on this person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. So evidently he had some accusations that the Lord granted here. So paraphrasing now, I got to hurry. It was a matter of a day or just a few days. But in this short period of time, Job loses all his animals. He's got thousands. Donkeys and camels and cattle. He loses all his possessions. In a matter of a day, all his children were wiped out. They were killed. I've had bad hair days. Believe it or not, I used to have hair, okay? But I've never had a day like this guy went through. Verse 20, chapter 1. Then Job arose, tore his robe, and he shaved his head. Now, every bit of that in their customs, it meant he was grieved, he was hurt. And you can imagine the pain he's in. Keep reading. And he fell to the ground 
and he worshiped. So I go back and I put myself in the story. And I think, when I've had bad days, when things didn't go my way, what did I do? Did I fall on my knees and begin to worship? Or did I begin to bellyache? Did I begin to cry and say, God, why are you doing this? Why are you not for me? Where are you at? And this is an incredible story that the man who lost everything, he falls and he worships. And he worships for no other reason than your God. Verse 21. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. And the Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessing. Whether it's blessings or not good or whatever that isn't pleasant. And he ends in verse 20. In all this, Job did not sin nor charge God with the wrong. You know what it means when he said he did not sin? He did not curse God. He did not speak evilly at God. He said, he's my God. He's my father. Who are you talking about piercing my heart? Chapter 2, verse 1. I'm about done. We only got about two more hours. Again, I like that word there. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth. From walking back and forth on the earth. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? That there is none like him on the earth. A blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. Now watch this. And he still holds fast to his integrity. Although you incited me against him to destroy him without a cause. Now get that right there, okay? He can't destroy you and me without a cause. He can't do it. Proverbs 26.2 says that a curse cannot come without a cause. In other words... We've got to be able to do something or open the door to the devil to give him a cause to come against us. And God said, how dare you try to do that without a cause? So the two things I've seen over the last week. The cause he looks for is habitual sin in our life. Or when we serve God with the wrong motive. So if we were to keep reading chapter 2, all of a sudden... Job starts experiencing sickness and boils and just junk upon his, his life. But he would never curse God. And his wife was saying, curse God to his face. And he's like, that's not going to happen. We fast forward 40 chapters to Job 42. And because Job lived pure and blameless before God. God blessed him by restoring everything that the devil had stole. If you go back and look, he doubled the oxen he had. He doubled the camels he had. He doubled the, the cattle he had. And God restored him with a bunch more children. And you say, yeah, but what about the first ten kids is what I believe he had. What about all them? Think about this. People never die. They live eternally. Eternally. 
And I believe God was showing him, you'll see all your kids again in heaven. And I say that to some of you today who've lost children, who've lost family members. Understand, when I live God for God from my heart, God is going to bless my time here on earth. But that's not the reason I serve him. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.